The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, October 1st at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning to all of you. My name is Raymond. Keep those Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 2. I'll get, I'll get right down there to chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. We'll probably spend most of our time in 14 through 18. I want to start, though, just by mentioning something I didn't mention last week. So look with me really quickly at chapter 2, verse 3. The author of Hebrews says something pretty important there. And I know we, we didn't say much about this, but there's actually a big debate about who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. And I don't really know who exactly wrote the book of Hebrews. People have said, you know, the Apostle Paul. I think he's gotten more votes than anyone else. Some people have said maybe it's Apollos. Some people have said maybe it's Luke. You know, all, all kinds of people have gotten votes. I, I personally am not sure. But while I, while I would say I don't know who the author is, um, I think I, I would feel pretty confident about who it's not. I, I don't think it's the Apostle Paul. I'm going to show you why before we, we get into it. Now, I could be wrong. I'm going to say that right out. I could be wrong. Um, I, but I don't think it's the Apostle Paul. And, you know, you kind of get nervous about sharing that because even Augustine thought it was Paul. And, he, you know, he's pretty smart. Anyway, here's why I don't think it, it's the Apostle Paul. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 again. Speaking of this great salvation, the Bible says here that this salvation was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness. So notice what the author says here. The Lord is announcing this great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and then it was attested to us by those who heard him, basically. In other words, here's the Lord announcing it. Here are the firsthand witnesses who heard him, and then there's us. And the author says, I belong to this group that receives sort of a second-hand witness. That's why I don't think it's Paul. Here's, this is how Paul sounds throughout the rest of the Bible. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man... Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. Now, this is speaking of the risen Christ. The risen Lord started appearing to some people. And in verse 7 of chapter 15 here in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely or prematurely born he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles and I'm unworthy even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am so once again the apostle Paul speaks of himself in a first-hand sort of account I personally was visited by the risen Jesus and and then Paul in Acts 26 gives us some insight into what Jesus said to him when he appeared to Paul. On that road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul and he says this. This is Acts 26, 
verse 16 through 18, and I'm, this is actually from the NIV, so I apologize to those of you who are big ESV people, but this is the NIV. It's close enough, and it flows more smoothly. That's why I chose it. All right, so here's what it says. Jesus said to Paul, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here you have the risen Jesus now confronting Paul on the road to Damascus, personally speaking to him and saying, in essence, what this great salvation is all about. I am going to send you to people. I'm going to send you to open their eyes. I'm going to send you to turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God. I am going to send you to give them that message which says they can receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The Apostle Paul never speaks of himself as a second-hand witness of the gospel message. And that is why I, I don't think Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. So anyway, uh, I don't know if that helps you or not. So we don't necessarily know who the author is, um, but I, I feel pretty confident about who it's not. But more important than all of that, more important than all of that is, is what the author, whoever that may be, says about Jesus in this book. What does the author say about Jesus and what does that mean for us who follow him here? Or who are perhaps considering whether or not we should give him our lives as well. And at, at a minimum, here's what I'll say from our passage today. The, the author of Hebrews at this point is saying, number one, Jesus became fully human so that he could die. Again, Jesus became fully human so that he could die. And number two... He died so that, among other things, he could deliver us from the fear of death. Now, let's, let's go and look at some of those. Let's start, actually, in verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. So, so Hebrews tells us right here why Jesus took on full human nature and a full human body. This is, this is the Bible's way of saying he took on the fullness of our human nature, the fullness of human experience, and a very real flesh and blood human body. Since the children, those of us who are to inherit salvation, who have been sanctified, since we were fully human, Jesus had to become like us. He himself partook of those same things. Jesus became fully human. And then as you follow the rest of that verse, it says here that he partook of the same things that through death. Do you see that? He partook of our full human nature. He, he put on a real human body. He lived as a real human being so that he could die. So something he couldn't do. Before he became human. He, as God, he could not die. 
Jesus became human so that he could die. So that through death, he might actually do for us some things that would have been impossible for him if he had not become fully human. The first of that being dying. He could not die. And, and on the way, he says he, he did this so that through death, he might do these other things. Number one, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And number two, verse 15, that he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And I want to spend the bulk of our time in that second one. That Jesus became fully human so that he could die. And that he died so that among other things he might deliver us from the fear of death. Alright, so I'll quickly pass through the first one. He destroys the devil. Obviously the devil is not completely destroyed yet. Right, in the sense that you might be thinking about it, that will be, that will be coming. Uh, but Jesus has taken away from Satan the ability to enslave us through fear. And particularly through the fear of dying. And the way Jesus has done this is given to us, I, I, I believe here, in the end of this passage that we just read. Now look with me really quickly. Jesus does something that disarms Satan. He does something to death. By passing through death himself, he does something to death as far as it will confront us as his believers. He does something to death that changes it. Jesus, verse 17, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. The end of Hebrews chapter 4 will tell us that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every way was tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus is able to sympathize with us in a way that was not possible before he took on the fullness of humanity and the fullness of human experience. But he can sympathize with us now and our weaknesses. And when he goes in before the very presence of God as our high priest to offer the sacrifice of his own blood, he is able to do it in a way that is truly sympathetic to us and our human condition. And that's important for his representation there. But Jesus does this, and, and look at what it says here in verse 17. Jesus goes in as a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that word propitiation is a fancy word which simply means a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath or anger. Jesus in putting his own blood there before the presence of God turned away the wrath of God from all of us who had committed sins that deserved his wrath. If we put our trust in Christ, the wrath of God is turned away from us. He's no longer angry with us in that sense for those sins, but he receives us as his obedient children. All because of faith in Christ and the blood that he put down for us. And so what Jesus does there is he removes the sin from God's sight that would have made us condemnable, that would have caused us to be worthy of condemnation in God's sight. And so now for the believer... Death is changed. Death has been changed. We will all die. The statistics are, are staggering. We will all die one day. 100% of us. Unless, of course, those of you who know your Bibles well, unless the Lord returns before that point, and then we will not all die in that case, but we will all be changed. 
But unless the Lord comes within the next hundred years, every single one of us, not only in this room, but on this planet, will be gone and replaced by other people. We're all going to die. But the experience of death has been changed because Jesus passed through it for us. He has taken out the sting. And so now, I'm going to go to something Paul definitely did write, 1 Corinthians. In chapter 15, verses 55 and 56, the Apostle Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Jesus has removed the sting of death by dying for our sins. So that now when the time comes and we do face that day where we, it's our time now to pass through that death, we can do it without as much fear. We can do it without as much fear. And we'll, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about how he delivers us from the fear of death. There, there are two reasons primarily why we fear death. Fear is always connected to what we believe. Fear is always connected to what we believe will happen to us or someone else. Fear. And so when Jesus seeks to deliver us from the fear of death, he, he, he does that by trying to deliver us from what we currently believe, by changing what we believe about death. And there are two primary reasons we fear death. We fear death either because on the one hand, we fear what awaits us personally on the other side, or on the other hand, we fear what might happen to those we leave behind? Those are the two primary reasons we fear death. And whatever it is we believe about what meets us on the other side or what will happen here, Jesus aims to deliver us from those fears. And so he speaks to us today. And he says it's very important for Christians to realize that death is something we no longer have to fear in the same way. Now I say that, I'm only, I'm 46 years, am I? Yes, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I, like I know how old my kids are, but I, I, it takes me a while now. I'm old enough to have to pause to figure out how old I am, right? That happens sometimes. Uh, but, but most people would look at it and say at 46, you're, you're, probably not, you're probably not crippled by a fear of death all the time. You're not thinking really today will be your last day or tomorrow will be your last day. I mean, of course, none of us really knows that and we have to be prepared at all times, but it's not like it, it controls my life. Now, something interesting happened when, when I actually came down with COVID in 2021. I, I had a bad, for whatever reason, all my family had it, a mild case. I got it really bad. And, and I actually, I had some moments where I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I never had to be hospitalized, but I, I did have to go see a cardiologist, wear a heart monitor. Uh, all that was going on. I don't know the rest of your stories, but in any case, I know what it's like to feel the fear of death. I know what it's like to watch my parents reach that point. Um, some of us know what it is. We, we know what it is to be waiting for a diagnosis, right? So they're, they're, the, the fear of death is real, and I don't mean to condemn anyone here this morning for feeling that encroach upon your soul. No reason to feel guilty about that at all. But I think it is true and fair to say as Christians, if we truly believe in Christ and we believe that he passed through death for us, if we believe that he emerged as the resurrected and victorious Christ and that we will share in his eternal life and share that destiny with him, the gospel should make a difference at this point. 
It really should. And, and that's, I, I want to encourage us with that this morning. I, there, there are two things that I think, oh, let me, before I come to that, let me say, let me give you an illustration. Think about it this way. Here's, here's what I think Jesus wants to do. Suppose you're, is anyone in here six years old? Seven years old? Six and a half? There you go. We'll, t- we'll take seven. All right. Suppose, suppose you're a seven-year-old child and you're afraid to jump off the high dive at the pool. I don't even know if you can find a high dive anymore. You can in, at Anarov in, in Verina. You can find one there. But, but they're taking all those things away now because apparently they're very dangerous. Everything we did when we were kids was dangerous, right? The merry-go-round, you can't find that on the playground anymore because some kid tried to jump onto that and, and missed. Which we just thought that was a rite of passage as a kid. We all did that. Um, so you don't have merry-go-rounds anymore. You don't have high dives at most pools because, you know, we, we all need to be so safe now that we can't have any fun. But that's a whole other story. But suppose you're afraid of jumping off a, a, a high diving board at, at, at the pool. Well, something happens. Now watch, you, you watch other people go up and do it. And, and, and they jump off, they, they go down, they come out of the water, and they look happy. And you start to think, maybe, maybe this is not so... So terrifying. But then you kind of look at it and say, oh, you know, but all those other people that jumped in, I mean, they're, they're older, they're, they're, they're adults. They, I'm, I'm just a kid. Maybe, you know, I'm still afraid. But then all of a sudden, you see two other seven-year-olds go up there, jump off, go down, come back up. They look happy too. It's different, isn't it? There's something about the fact that that person is just like you. They just passed through the experience that you fear. And it kind of dispels some of your own fear. That's what Jesus did for us. He comes and becomes like us. And then he passes through the thing that held us in a crippling slavery and a lifelong fear. This fear of death. He passes through it. He comes out alive. And he returns to say, you're going to go through this too and it's going to be okay. There, There are two reasons why I think it's really important for us today really important for us to to really confront this fear of death and and to allow Jesus to apply the gospel to this issue in our hearts notice the connection between this fear of death and bondage fear of death and slavery there is always an inverse relationship between fear and freedom Right? People in a, in a political sense, people who have understood this for a long time, who have totalitarian impulses, they, they've, they've long understood that if we want to control people's lives, every aspect of their lives, what we need to do is make them fearful. They've always understood this because there is an inverse relationship between those things. But if you notice here, one of the reasons, two of these now, but one reason that it's really important that we deal with this fear is because without freedom from the fear of death, we're going to be a lot less likely to participate in risky gospel missions. Again, without without freedom, again, freedom enough that we're not crippled by it and we can no longer move 
in the direction of God's call because we're fearful. But freedom from death or from fear of death will make us more willing to participate in risky gospel missions. As we just saw in the video, there are still millions of people, billions really, who, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There are whole groups of people, as far as we can tell, who have no current witness of the gospel among them. As far as we can tell, no scripture in their language, no church, maybe even no Christian attempting to evangelize and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to go. This is why as a church, one of the first things we did when we came together is we prayed and we asked the Lord, put on our hearts one people group, one group in this world of the thousands that are still left as one church. Give us one to pray for, to plan for. Give us one to go to that we might proclaim the gospel among them and see what you will do. And we've been doing that for for years now. We've been sending people there. We've been praying. We've been going there. We've been giving. Uh, You've been doing that as a part of this church. And it's not an easy place. We ask the Lord specifically, give us a place that is dangerous. There are places in this world where if you go, you are really risking your life, your very life, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's where we have to go. We've got to go to other places as well, but that's where we've got to go. There was, a guy, there was a guy back in the 19th century, in the, in the mid-1850s. Um, his name was John Patton. He was a, a missionary from, uh, from Scotland. And his assignment was to a, a set of islands called the New Hebrides Islands. You might be familiar with that. The interesting part about his story is that 19 years before he would answer the call to go there, there were two other missionaries Two guys by the name of John Williams and James Harris. And they went to the same place to preach the gospel. Now the people among whom they would go to, to preach the gospel were, were, were cannibals. This is what they were known for. And interestingly, the two men who, who went there at first, this John Williams and James Harris, shortly after they arrived, they were actually killed and, and eaten by, by the people who lived there. And so when John Patton wanted to go, I know that's gross, you can say that's gross. When John Patton wanted to go, he was discouraged by a very caring member of his church, one Mr. Dixon. And Mr. Dixon shouted him down and said, this is crazy, don't go, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And I, I kid you not, here's what John Patton said in response. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What a conviction. What conviction. With that, Mr. Dixon acquiesced and said, I guess, I guess we got to send you. Now again, not, not everybody will do that. Not all of us will, will be the John Patton. Not all of us will go. Some of us will, will send people like that. 
Um, and, and I should say this, there's also a time, there's, there's nothing wrong as people who have gone to these places or who are considering going to these places. They also at times have to take stock of what's happening. And, and there are going to be times where the Spirit of God leads us to even move from a place of danger. You'll see that in the, in the scriptures as well, where Jesus will say, you're persecuted here, flee to the next place. And so you, you just have to be sensitive to God's Spirit there. But it is really critical that every generation of the church, including us, that, that we all at least confront this very common fear of death because there is a world out there that is perishing apart from Christ. And they need to hear the gospel. And as Romans chapter 10 says, how are they going to call upon the one in whom they've not believed? And how are, gonna, how are they going to believe in the one of whom they've never heard? How, how are they going to hear unless someone actually preaches to them? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? If people are going to call upon Jesus for salvation, they got to believe in him. If they're going to believe in him, they got to hear about him. If they're going to hear about him, especially where he's never been named before, someone's going to have to go and preach. Lord, help us to keep that ambition in our hearts and that desire to preach you among those who have never heard you before. Deal with the fear of death in our hearts that would prevent that. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. But I'm not finished because that's only one of the two things that I was telling you. It's very important we confront the fear of death so that we're more likely to engage and participate in risky gospel missions. But it's also important for this reason. Confronting the fear of death in our lives to the, and getting, getting to that place where it does not dominate us is actually going to make a noticeable difference between us and the rest of the culture. It's going to make a noticeable difference between us and those who are observing our lives, especially if they know that we're believers, if they know that we're Christians. And it's, it's actually going to invite questions, good questions that we can then answer. First, first Peter chapter 3, verse 15 kind of questions, where Peter tells us there, always be ready to give a defense or a reason for the hope that you have within you, for the hope that we have in Christ. Always be ready to give an answer or a reason for why you have that hope and why some don't. And, and when, when everybody, when the whole world is crippled by a fear of death and they have the opportunity to look out at a group of people who are just like them in some ways, who also to a degree feel that fear encroaching upon their hearts, but who are noticeably not paralyzed by it, who are noticeably not as dominated by it, it causes them to wonder, what is, this, what is this thing you have inside you that allows you to pass through this ordeal and this trial differently than everyone else? This is going to be really important because I don't, I don't know, hopefully, we will not have another opportunity in the form of a pandemic. Please, Lord. For, not for a long time, hopefully. Uh, but but there, there will be opportunities again. And I, I think maybe if I have one regret out of, you know, coming out of that whole pandemic thing, it's just that I, I didn't quite feel like we really seized the opportunity in front of us to display this difference. Right? And I'm, again, listen, listen, how we go about these things, you know, 
I'm not talking about surface level differences. You know, we're, we're, we're all going to make decisions that we think are best for us and others when those things happen. So some of us here wore masks, some of us didn't. That was never an issue for us. You know, Romans 14 and 15 takes care of that. We, we accept one another. We don't look down on one another. The Lord has welcomed us with all those differences, and that's how we approach things here. But where we can all, I think, be the same and should be the same is that there should be, there should be something about the gospel that informs our hearts and actually deals with the fear of death. To the point where someone else can notice and say, where's that coming from? And then we can tell them. We can tell them, look, you, you might be overestimating my freedom from fear. Um, I, I'm kind of afraid to. But there's something that helps me with this fear. I've actually seen my God, my Lord Jesus Christ, come in human flesh and take death on. I've seen him wrestle death and defeat death and come back. And he promises that when we pass through this thing, he's going to be there to meet us on the other side. And, and death now is just the the last thing that's going to send me into his presence for all eternity where I will experience joy like no other. And I am increasingly beginning to believe that. And because fear is always connected to what I believe, because what I believe has changed through the gospel, that fear is starting to diminish. It's the only way for that fear to subside to the point where it doesn't dominate us. And so I look at Jesus, I look at the gospel, I see my high priest, I see Jesus going into a place in heaven where no one else is permitted to go. The high priest on earth would go into a room in the temple or the tabernacle called the most holy place or the holy of holies, however you want to name that. He was the only person who could go in. And every time he went in, it was once a year, he would have to go in with the right sacrifice. Only he could go in, only that sacrifice could follow. And all of that, we're told in the book of Hebrews, was really just almost like a, a dramatization. It was just an acting out of what Jesus would ultimately do in heaven, in the real tabernacle, not made with human hands. He would actually go before the very presence of God in a place where nobody else could go. The real holiest place. And usually there was some distinction between the person, the high priest, and the sacrifice that he offered. But not this time. Jesus actually went in. He was not only our high priest. He was also the sacrifice. And he went in with his own blood to a place nobody else could go. And he carried our sins to that place, poured his blood out on it, and it was forgiven forever. The sin that would make death fearful for me, that would make what's waiting on the other side terrifying for me, has been fully dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And every time I watch that instant replay, some of you, you like to watch instant replays of your team winning the Super Bowl. I'm a Cowboys fan. It's been a long time. I, I, I don't know if those are even still on YouTube. But I'll tell you, the, in, the, the reason we give an instant replay of the gospel every time you come here is because of the effect it has on our hearts. When we watch Jesus entering that place for us, and when we realize that his blood was poured out on our sins, that those sins will never be brought up again against us, that God has forgiven them once and for all, then the fear of death is beginning to diminish. Death has lost its sting. And we know that we will pass through death one day and emerge as Jesus did with eternal joy in the presence of our Heavenly Father. So as you wait for the diagnosis, as you care for aging parents, as you face the reality of your, your, own, your own humanness, your own frailty, know that you can face that without the fear becoming paralyzing, without the fear leading you into a kind of slavery from which you can never escape. Because Jesus, our Lord, our great high priest, has gone into the very throne of God in heaven. He represents us and he has laid down his own blood. There is no greater offering which could be made. And the blood now that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel speaks in our defense. And so when we appear before the Lord, he, he will say, if you belong to Christ, your sins are covered. Enter into the the joy of your Father. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand, my name is written on his heart, and I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can tell me to depart. So when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Let's pray. Father, you were, you were there in the beginning with our Lord Jesus Christ. You started this whole thing. You sent him. You sent him at just the right time, at your appointed time. And he he actually came fully in the flesh. He, He became like us in all those respects, in the fullness of human experience, in the fullness of human nature, so that he could die in our place on that cross. And so that he could pass through death for us, remove its sting, and lead us all one day through that experience of death, just like your former servant Moses led Israel through, through the Red Sea. And Father, we don't have to fear what awaits us on the other side anymore because Jesus has prepared that place for us. And Father, we no longer need to fear what happens to those we leave behind because we know that you're still here for them. And so as you change what we believe about death, we pray that the fear of death would no longer enslave us and would no longer paralyze us from engaging at times even in risky gospel missions and in displaying a glory of Jesus 
and in displaying just a, a faith and confidence in him that is noticeable, that can be noticed by those who observe our lives. Father, help us to be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. Lord, remove any feeling of condemnation anybody might have about any of this stuff. If there was anything I said that made them feel that way, that was not my intent. I pray, I pray instead that you would, you would help them to hear the invitation you extend to all of us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he gave his life for us so that we in one in, in the next turn could give our lives to him as well and be accepted by you. Let that happen this morning for anyone who has not come to you in faith yet. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.